0: Live from Beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics with occasional injections of rumor in your window all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by former network reporter Garrick Blakely, Georgia Logothais of the Daily Kos, Republican pollster Rod McCullough, And active illegal immigration activist Rosanna Polito. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the studios of WCGO in beautiful Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. Phone lines open 1 800 723 8289. That's 1 800 723 8289. Uh, If you want to text me or send me a comment, it's also at DUMO. That is our our Twitter handle at DUMO. But again, uh, I was saying to our guests before we went on the air, we could probably do about three or four hours tonight because there's so much that I want to talk about, and uh, we've got great guests to uh, to share with you for the next two hours. I, I want to begin with um, uh, what happened in Georgia last week, specifically uh, their legislature, specifically the legislation down there. We'll talk about uh, the shooting at the massage parlors a little bit later on in the broadcast. But again... Uh, when the election when our last election was over donald trump made a big point that he thought that the election had been stolen from him and obviously a lot of people who supported donald trump believed that and believe it today and uh, one of the things that uh, came out of that 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 national debate was to what extent are republicans going to spend time between now and uh, 2022 uh, focusing on some of the election-related issues that were brought up during that uh, several-month uh, uh, co- you know, uh, controversy that followed. And uh, last week, uh, the legislature in Georgia sent to Governor Brian Kemp uh, some legislation that uh, uh, is going to change the way they vote in the state of Georgia. It is just one state where legislatures are reacting and, and moving forward with legislative matters uh, relating to elections and uh, the, the not only the integrity of the election, but also uh, um, the restoration of voting rights or the, the maintaining of voting rights, uh, as many people have described it. So I want to begin the discussion because we've got four real political animals with us this evening. And I want to begin with Rod McCullough, who was a Republican pollster. But, but Rod, um, is, is this the best thing that uh, Donald Trump could do to continue to rile up and to— uh, focus uh all of his followers to focus on specific series of, of legislation around the country that uh, keeps uh, the issue that was important to him uh front and center heading into 2022 well polls
1: have shown that since the election about 40 percent of americans not all republicans have some doubt about the way elections are run so uh it isn't going to be fixed on a national level, so state by state is probably the way to go. One interesting thing that hasn't really been talked about is you had a governor there, uh, Kemp, who pushed back really hard on Trump when Trump said that there were flaws mm-hmm. in the Georgia election. Right. So then you, you wonder why he's so eager to sign a bill that cleans up a mess he claimed didn't happen, mm-hmm. including taking the secretary of state, who he vehemently defended— taking him completely out of the decision-making process uh, in the next election. So mm-hmm. maybe some of Trump's arguments hit
0: home with Kemp. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to Georgia Logothites, who's the closest thing to a card-carrying liberal or progressive that we have this evening. Georgia, what's your reaction to what the uh, uh, the Georgia legislature did uh, last week?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's abhorrent. And um, going to back to the point that Randall had mentioned about, while there's no national fix, the reason there is no national fix for the kind of status of our elections is because Republicans have been blocking hr1 the for the people act which is the first attempt to really modernize our election systems provide kind of a new voting rights act and ensure that every citizen who is entitled legally to vote can do so free of intimidation and most importantly just incompetence i think what the elections keep showing is not that elections are being stolen but that so often the same bureaucracy that you're tackling at the dmb is the one that is in charge of your precious right to vote. And I think what's most telling with all these Republican bills, not just in Georgia, here in Illinois, but across the country, Mm -hmm. is that Republicans who are professing to be fixing the problems in our election system, they're not introducing bills to increase money for cybersecurity against attacks by hackers. Um, They're not introducing bills to make lines shorter, right? They're not introducing bills for more voting machines that are secure. They're introducing bills to make it illegal to give voters standing in those lines water. Mm -hmm. I think it's extraordinarily telling that we are living through an unprecedented attack on the right to vote. And I think any person who supports those bills, Republican, Democrat, or Independent, should be ashamed.
0: Roseanne, I want to go to you. Uh, you're a card-carrying conservative. I don't consider you a card-carrying Republican, but I want you to react to what uh, Georgia just had to say, that maybe uh, uh, maybe people are getting riled up about the wrong things, at least uh, Republican legislators around the country.
3: Uh, I think it's a very simple solution, which most uh, common common people believe in. I know when I go to Walmart and buy a bottle of wine, if I don't have an ID, I do not get that bottle of wine. We want voter ID. Simply, voter ID will cure the problem of voting.
0: I want to get Derek Blakely's reaction to that. He's a reporter formerly of CBS and NBC locally. And uh, Derek, uh, your reaction, is it as simple as uh, Rosanna uh, articulates?
4: Well, um, I think it's a multi-layered situation. I think Georgia is clearly a reaction, a political reaction to the political results. Right. We had two Democrats uh, who won Senate seats. We had Biden who won the state, and uh, so the Republicans figure we got to change the rules. And you have the overlay of, of Donald Trump's uh, uh, false
0: yeah. <laughs> false
4: accusations about the election being stolen. Now, I do think the election – I do think the rhetoric is somewhat overblown. I, I, I don't think – while I do think the intention is to decrease Democratic voting and decrease Black voting, I think the rules that were adopted, some of the most onerous restrictions were stripped out of them. And I think that uh, a Democrat or a, a Black candidate can not fairly compete under the rules, which include voter ID. And voter ID also uh, is included in many blue states too. So uh, – It's a more nuanced situation. But the Republicans set themselves up, um, unfortunately, under the rubric that uh, they are against blacks voting, against uh, widespread voter access. And this is only going to further encourage uh, black registration and black determination to vote Mm -hmm. in the off-year election. There is one troubling. There are a couple of troubling aspects of the Georgia law. You mentioned the no food and water thing. That's petty. I mean that's petty, small-minded. But it gets all the head. It's gotten all the headlines because it's all so petty. Because it's 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 it's
0: silly. It doesn't make sense. Well,
4: exactly. I mean, they, there's a cover story for it, but it's it's it's. But thin. there but
0: the, but there is there is an explanation for it, which has not been part of the media. Right. Area. No, I've, I've heard right. the explanation. Yeah, yeah, right, the yeah.
4: explanation is they don't want uh, outside Election, actors electioneering. Yeah, uh, electioneering. But if you can buy a vote for a bottle of water, your your vote's pretty cheap. I, 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 but for of, a dinner, but but for a turkey dinner, maybe a chicken we, dinner. We
0: know, we know, we well, we we, we know that worked. We know that worked <laughs> in Chicago. But, for a let long, me talk long about time. the other
4: aspect, though. Yeah. There is another aspect. Counties can choose to close the polls by five o'clock. Yeah. Five o'clock. Now that clearly. Uh, you know, works against voting, uh, working people right. uh, casting a ballot. That it does. But also
0: we should mention that they've expanded early
4: voting. So yeah. on some, they,
0: they've, they've opened the door on some issues and shut it on the other. We'll continue our discussion. 1-800-723-8029. i am Bruce Dumont.
5: Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd garris with today's Tip for Kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org.
6: Wish you were here words we've often seen on postcards and letters from friends and family. Luckily, there's an entire state that whispers, wish you were here, climbing my dunes, sailing on my breezes, walking along my beaches, and getting lost and found in my forests. This is a postcard from Michigan, where wishing you were here is the heart of Pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
0: Bruce Tumart back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. Uh, uh, I understand that we're having a little technical problem with Roseanne Polito. So she will be joining us hopefully in a few minutes via phone. But again, uh, Georgia Logothides continues with us. And Georgia, we haven't heard from you for, uh, for a couple of minutes now. And I want to just kind of bring you up to date or ask you to, to bring us up to date on some of the points that uh, Derek has made about, you know, not everything that Georgia did is a bad idea. And again, the one that that seems to have popped to the top of the the news media focus is the idea of whether or not you can serve uh, uh, people water or food uh, in a a long line.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I'll I'll reference my toddler. She's almost almost four, actually, three and a half. And if she comes to me and she says, Mom, I have a few (coughs) ideas. I want to have a picnic outside. I want to have a peanut butter sandwich. And I also want to play in the street. I'm not going to give her credit for the first two ideas and, yeah. and give her a pass on the horrible <laughs> one, right? Okay. Um, the fact that there are elements of, of those bills that are such a direct infringement on people's rights to vote, and, and, and they're so transparent about it, right? I mean, they're so transparent about the types of voters that they don't want. To be at the polls, right? I think that the fact that there's stuff in there that may be good, if you extended early voting by a couple of days, congratulations. But at the end of the day, you're still stripping people's rights away one by one. But if but, but, but what about creep but, is really outrageous. But <laughs>
0: what about the issue of, let's stick to the one that seems to be getting a, a lot of media attention. And that is the issue of uh, whether, you, whether you can bring water or, uh, or food to someone standing in line. I mean, the, the reason why they did that was because they wanted to avoid electioneering. You're not supposed to be talking to voters while they're waiting in line. Someone conceivably could do, and I guess th- there was an example last time, that people who had a partisan position, they would come up and they would offer water and or a sandwich to someone waiting in line. And, you know, maybe they hand them a, hand them a bottle of water and it's got a Warnock uh, label on it. We don't know, but but electioneering is, I mean, that that's... That's politics 101. You don't allow electioneering. And uh, this this is maybe just one example of how the Georgia electors uh, or the elected officials, they uh, they, they interpreted it. Uh, Rod, do you add more through
1: yeah, to that? It, well, well, one thing, the media stories and the people who are lampooning this, they leave out one important detail, and I wonder why that is. The law actually says you can't give water within 150 feet of the polling place. Yeah. So, it isn't really what it's cracked up to be. So, if there's a long line yeah. and someone's dying of thirst, you can give them water. Right. It just, in the last, it always has been against the law to politic within 100 feet of a polling place. So, they've, they've extended that by 50 feet. Uh, and if, so, if you're 200 feet away, or two miles away, or six blocks away, someone can bring you water. So, really, it isn't what it's cracked up to be.
0: But, but the, the, the real point here is, why is the line so long? Uh, what's happening in that polling place? And are things happening in a polling place where African-Americans vote that's different than what happens where uh, Caucasians are voting?
4: And well, we know all over the country. That there was a, a diminution of polling places in African-American neighborhoods. In Milwaukee, there were lines that were bo- blocks long. Whose in fault Georgia, is whose there fault were li- is,
0: Whose fault is that, though?
4: Well, it's the election officials.
0: Uh, in many cases, aren't the election officials in those areas that are predominantly black, aren't they predominantly Democrats?
4: yes. They may be. Well, it's, I mean,
0: it's, it's George, are they? What do you think? I mean, Derek so thinks yeah, that's a I, possibility. So yeah, I can jump in here.
2: So I actually cut my teeth in politics back in 2004, investigating voter machine distribution in Ohio after the election. Okay. And what happened in that situation was the secretary of state, the Republican secretary of state, um, Ken Blackwell, had promised to deliver the state for For Bush, and he did so in part by working with local officials for an unequitable distribution of voting machines. And the fact is that it's not always up to your local precinct or, or the local officials. A lot of times that type of distribution comes from the state where they give the county, let's say, X number of machines, and then they can decide. And what we see routinely, ever, you know, for decades now, is that minority neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, immigrant neighborhoods might get one, two, three voting machines and have extraordinarily long lines, while affluent white suburbs get multiple machines and people wonder, well, why is it why are they complaining? I was able to vote in two minutes flat. It's empirical. The data is there, and it's a type of injustice again that's not being addressed by these purported election reformers. They're not arguing for rules leading to better distribution and more efficient distribution of voting machines.
1: Right. Yeah, well, in in the case of Georgia and Wisconsin, uh, the decisions to reduce the number of polling places, and it's easily Googleable, was done by democratic local uh, election officials. So that's two different issues. You're referencing
2: the number of polling places, which is a separate issue. I'm referencing the number of machines. You can have 50 polling places, but if each place only has one machine, you are going to get those long lines.
1: Wisconsin has a Democratic governor. So again, this is not necessarily a partisan issue. Now, first of all, I'm going to agree. It absolutely
7: is a partisan I, well, issue. Hold on. I'm well, going well, to agree that,
1: the, that there are problems with elections. And even though... I'm labeled as a Republican pollster, and I have gotten Republicans elected at this point in my career, Bruce. I work for who I want to work for. Okay. I've gotten a couple of dozen Cook County judges elected, half a dozen Chicago aldermen. They're all Democrats.
0: Okay.
1: For 40 years as a pollster, I've been trying to get more people to vote. I'm mm-hmm. for people voting. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh. So, but, but, but to you know, inject some of this. Uh, you know, Derek brought up a couple of good points. One was the Republicans allow themselves, uh, he didn't say that, but I'm saying they allow themselves to get cornered into people believing that they want people who are black not to vote. That's their fault for allowing themselves to get cornered into that position. If you actually read this bill, there's nothing in there about race. Every Georgian who wants to vote will still be able to vote. It doesn't cut out any rights. People who say this must not have read the bill because it does not cut out anyone's rights or restrict them in any way to vote if they want to vote.
0: Georgia?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's just completely false. We can all remember Trump actually admitted back uh, with a 2016 election when there was lower black turnout. He said, quote, it was great that blacks turned out less. Trump doesn't run the the elections. It's well, absolutely not true that the Republican Party has some type of benign, nonpartisan election integrity agenda. It's completely transparent. We also see it, by the way, in gerrymandering. We had leaked audio tapes about how they were trying to draw districts specifically to lower the political power of minorities and immigrants. Do you believe, so, Georgia, do you, the do you I mean, live in it,
1: Illinois?
2: A political yeah. and partisan attempt. It, it, and I think, again, it's, you can see it in the effect of the bill. If the effect of the bill was supposed to be nonpartisan, then you would see it have an equal effect. It does. Among ha- whites it, 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 and, it, it does. And it does.
0: And let, uh, not- well, 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 let's Georgia, Georgia. Let's let Rod respond, it, and then it, I want to sure. bring it, Derek back. It, it does it.
1: have an equal effect. It doesn't. It doesn't specifically. What right is curtailed? There are none. That's a talking point that's meaningless and mindless. There are not. There's nothing in the bill. That restricts any Georgian from voting, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Also, the point about gerrymandering, please, are you going to really contend that gerrymandering is a Republican thing? Do you live in Illinois? No. I mean, no, both in Illinois, do
2: absolutely. In, in Illinois, it's Democratic partisan gerrymandering. In North Carolina and other parts, it's Republican. Right. But Republicans obviously have a far better agenda at the national level in terms of the representation in Congress. Of course, I'm not going to deny that Democrats have done their, their bad gerrymandering here in Illinois as well. But I think going back to your point about what's in the bill, let me ask you then. So if, if everything in the bill is completely benign and OK, can I ask you why didn't they actually address the problems that are at the heart of our our kind of disjointed election system? Well, I didn't. For example, well, voter purges—that's a big Republican talking point, like, right? Let, let, oh, let's, uh, let's, let's,
0: let's let him respond to that, and then we're. Sure. Then I want to I want to get Derek involved. Well, well first of all, I, I didn't
1: say I was in favor of every single aspect of the bill, as Bruce said. There's in every bill, there's go- some good things and some bad things. And getting back to an earlier point that you made, HR one. I don't even believe is con- uh, constitutional in the U.S. Constitution in surprisingly plain language in words. It says that the state legislatures are the ones who make the rules governing elections. That's why you need a state by state fix. Now, I'm not here to defend the Georgia Republican Party or Donald Trump on these issues. I'm just saying uh, T- Trump has said all kinds of things that are objectionable about voting and who should vote and who, who isn't voting but he doesn't run the elections. It's up to the local government elected officials to run elections and I've been involved in a number of states I've seen all, the way all kinds of different states do it and its elections are run locally, not nationally. And it's the same, the same and the same That's rules true. that apply in New York shouldn't necessarily apply in
0: Wyoming. Derek, I want you to weigh in. Go ahead. Jump in.
4: Well, as I I said, any
0: of the topics we've talked about since you last spoke.
4: (laughs) Well, as I said uh, originally, I I think that some of the most onerous uh, elements of the bill have been stripped out. And I do think that Democrats can compete in Georgia under the rules that have now been rewritten. Um, But I also think that the Republican effort, especially in southern states, uh, to restrict uh, overall voting access, uh, Tells us again why we need a voting rights bill, and why we need to reauthorize the voting rights bill to give uh, added scrutiny to some of these actions. What would it
0: do? What would what would a national voting rights bill do, uh, in your in your view?
4: Well, it would it would give this additional. This is above and beyond HR one. Yes. It, well, it's separate from HR one. Okay. Yeah. Because we had a voting rights bill for right. many years until it was allowed to. Uh, Allowed to uh, uh, fade away. Uh, fade away. It would it would allow uh, stricter court scrutiny of election rules, especially in the South, in an area where we have a, a history of uh, you know blatant racial discrimination, legal discrimination, and it would give the courts more authority to uh, take a closer look at these election rules and make sure that election laws are being fairly drawn and fairly enforced.
0: Okay. When we come back, we're going to switch gears and talk about some other things. We're also going to put put the APB out for Rosanna Polito, find out where she <laughs> is. And uh, But we are going to change gears. Uh, and by the way, I'm going to predict that this issue of uh, voting rights, uh, uh, this is just the first week we've talked about it. We're going to talk about it a lot between now and 2022, because it is going to be a hotly debated uh, topic, uh, not only national, but also at the statewide level. I'm Bruce Dumont, back in a few minutes.
8: Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and
6: helping each other with friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger.
8: For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders. For you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP.
6: Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. 14 clubs. That's what they tell us a legal golf bag can hold. And while that leaves a little room for balls and tees, it doesn't leave room for much else. There's no room left for deadlines or conference calls. Not a single pocket to hold the stress of the day or the to-do list of tomorrow. Only 14 clubs. Pick out the right one and drive it right down the middle of Pure Michigan. Your golf trip begins at Michigan.org.
0: Come on back on Beyond the Bellway. Thank you very much for joining us. We're going to take a moment now and let everybody introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with Rod McCullough. Rod
1: A longtime pollster for about 40 years in Illinois and other parts of the country.
0: By the way, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had, uh, in in talking about the LaRouche upset in the 1986 Democratic primary in Illinois, we had a LaRouche as a guest on the program, and he made a comment about there was only one pollster that sort of predicted that uh, there was skullduggery in the precincts and there was going to be a big upset. And you were a young man at the time working for uh, uh, the pollster at the time.
1: The late, great Mike McEwen. Yeah, I started off my career working for him, worked my way through college working for him. That was the, uh, one of the first elections that I was involved in politics. And we, me and my crew did all of the actual phone work. Mm-hmm. Mike did all the analysis because that's what he was great at. And his clients during that election cycle were the, was the entire statewide Democratic mm-hmm. ticket. And so I tagged along uh, in a meeting, uh, you know, a wet behind-the-ears green kid who yeah. didn't know anything to listen to all this. And I remember distinctly him saying in the first meeting that they had a LaRouche problem. Uh, he didn't necessarily predict they were going to win, but he said, look, there's a problem. This group of candidates is going to do a lot better than you expect they will. And I distinctly remember Adelaide Stevenson, who was the Democratic candidate for governor, dismissing it out of hand, saying, you're out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and the rest is history.
0: Yeah. Derek Blakely. Well. You, um, know, you weren't around for that 86. Uh, I, I was in Chicago. Yes, you I were. was. You remember covering? Because I would I, talked I about certainly it. do. Yeah, I certainly a, do. There was a lot of, lot of surprise. That was reporters. a wild, wild
4: <laughs> election. Yeah. Um, I've spent uh, 40 years as a television news reporter, including um, eight years uh, with CBS Network and uh, uh, about 32 years uh, here in Chicago.
0: Georgia Logothetis, tell us a little bit about who you are.
2: I'm Georgia Logothetis. I am a former attorney. I've been involved in policy and politics for over 16 years. Um, I'm currently a nonprofit executive, and I've been a contributing editor over at Daily Coast for, it seems like, forever.
0: (laughs) No, literally, what, what, over 20 years?
2: Yeah, almost.
0: Yeah, you've been, and by the way, I mentioned this before we went on the air, when you were first a guest on this program many years ago, you were single. Mm -hmm. You are now a mother of three.
2: Yes, three toddlers. Very well, good. Two toddlers and a newborn. Well, next, so, next but She acts like a toddler already. <laughs>
0: next time, we want you to bring pictures. Also, uh, with you. us, I understand uh, our uh, Zoom problem has uh, not been able to be uh, resolved. But I understand that we have uh, Roseanne Polito on the old-fashioned telephone. Rosanna, are you there?
3: I'm. I'm here, Bruce. Okay. Thank you. Tell us a little well, bit about who you I are. Am a- I am a Latina, and 16 years ago, it'll be in April, uh, will be the 16th anniversary of when the Minutemen, uh, citizens from all over the United States, went to the Arizona-Mexico border to show our government that we had a porous border. And kind of uh, from there, I really became involved in the issue. I'd worked for the police department. I saw that aspect of it, uh, illegal immigration, I eventually ran for Congress in the uh, Illinois 5th Congressional District, won the Republican nomination, lost the election, It uh, was invited to Congress to testify on illegal immigration. So uh, it's been quite uh, a journey as a citizen activist.
0: And by the way, we should mention, as I've introduced you many times, because you've been a guest on this program for those uh, 16 years, that uh, uh, you're one of those people who has been a guest on this program, that your your personal passion uh, ended up uh, having a, a happy day uh, with the election of Donald Trump. And uh, I know that maybe it's a little less uh, happy now than uh, uh, before, but again, uh, uh, you're a uh, your lifelong focus on this issue has been something that's kept you going. My question to you is I'm going to start this with you Rosanna. Um what is your I know you're not very happy with what's happening on the on the border, but how much of what's happening on the border uh in your view could have been avoided? Well,
3: um I am thrilled to see the progress that Donald Trump made with the wall and with uh, different rules that he put in place and that people wanting asylum had to stay in Mexico until uh, you know the proper whatever orders went through. But I will say this, both Democrats and Republicans are to blame for what's going on at the border right now. It's been a football. There's been no a political football, no political will to close the border. And we may talk about immigration and say we have a crisis at the border, but we also have to recognize that it's a national security issue. And uh, what do the Democrats and Republicans get out of this for not solving the problem? They get cheap labor for their contributors to their campaign.
0: Uh, Georgia Logotheti, your reaction to what's happening on the border and any uh, response to what Rosanna had to say?
2: Sure. Uh, it's a tragedy. Uh, immigration reform has long been one of the um, most complex and yet most simple parts of, of the federal agenda in terms of the actual nuances of policy are extraordinarily complex. But the top line is extraordinarily simple, right? We have two categories of people that we have to deal with that want to come into this country. One is the people that want to come here for criminal purposes, terrorists and the like, and we absolutely keep them out. The others, um, and that also includes, by the way, criminals, people that are trying to come into the country illegally, right? Um, Mm -hmm. On the other hand, we have people that are seeking asylum, and that's a totally different type of people that are crossing the border. Um, Going back to the point about all that Trump accomplished with the wall, I just want to obviously uh, point out the fact that um, in his term, Donald Trump built a grand total of 80 miles of new wall, right? So it's not as if he built a wall that's keeping people out. One thing that's important to remember is that Trump's policy is still in effect. Uh, It's actually the CDC had issued an order called Title 42, which said anybody who was caught at the border generally had to be released right back. They couldn't apply for anything here in the United States. Biden has kept that order. And so what we're seeing now with the increase at the border is actually an increase in unaccompanied minors. And the difference is that President Biden has decided not to turn those children away and not to house them in cages, but instead to process them through HHS and you know and and re um, re put them with people here, relatives, until they can be adjudicated in the appropriate court. That's the change that we're seeing. But um, I completely agree; it's a bipartisan issue. um, In terms of we had bipartisan, you know, the the Gang of Six reform that was on the table and was blocked by Republicans. We had a chance at real comprehensive immigration reform that could have helped to address some of these issues not all of it, but some of the issues could have absolutely been addressed all of these years and instead we keep dealing with the same problem over and over again. Derek,
0: do you agree uh, with Rosanna that the uh, this is Republicans and Democrats really don't want a resolution on this issue?
4: Well I haven't been able to find one that's that's for sure the, uh, the increase that we're seeing at the border uh, uh, actually started in the last months of the Trump administration and it's increased under Biden. Uh, trying to blame one or the other for it is is just nonsense because it's gone up and down, up and down over the years. Um, the wall isn't a solution. And, uh, you know, we need to have a guest worker program that allows people to come here and go home, work and go home. We need to have uh, 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 we need to have a, a path to citizenship for the people who are here and, and, and some combination of of those tools. Um, the asylum question uh, is a difficult one, but clearly most of the people who are coming here are doing it for economic reasons. Um, and some are pressured by gang and drugs uh, in Central America and Mexico. But uh, the pressure is economic, and we need to relieve that pressure uh, by working with the foreign governments to, to give people less incentive to come here illegally. Right.
1: It sounds to me like there's actually a lot of agreement between these three people, and there is also yeah. among average Americans. We've polled on this issue forever, and I will tell you that the average people that we poll, the average person that we poll, first of all can't figure out why a solution hasn't been uh, ha- hasn't happened yet. In addition to the low wage-paying jobs, that is a factor, but I don't believe that's the number one reason why a solution hasn't happened. The extremes on both party, and both parties want the issue. To run on. They don't want a solution because then the issue goes away. Right. Uh, I, it's my belief that if you put 100 normal everyday Americans locked up in a room in Washington, D.C., it would take about four hours to come up with a solution that everybody could agree on. But we don't have 100 normal people in Washington, D.C. in the U.S. Senate, and that's the problem that we have.
0: Rosanna, question to you. If we, if, if we were to put 100 people uh, randomly selected into a room, as Rod just suggested, how many of those people would support some form of a pathway to citizenship? And again, for the Dreamers, I want to zero in on the Dreamers now, not the broader population. Do you think there would be a majority or a minority of people within those 100 people who would support a pathway to citizenship?
3: I... um... I uh, I think that if they are conservatives, they want people to do things the right way, to follow the laws, embrace our laws, and do it in an orderly fashion. Um, I I disagree with it. Um, You know, we can, you know, think about these different questions, but the truth of the matter is, in the end. We have a pandemic going on a lot of people have lost their livelihoods Americans are struggling and now Americans are going to have to foot the bill for all of these people coming in the country free education, free hospitalization incarceration social services and the American so there is no there's there's,
0: there's no lar- there's no large group of people that will, I want to just use the term forgive and forget, and let's look for another day. Okay. We've got to pause. I'll be back in a moment. I'm Bruce Dumont.
5: Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Heard-Garris with today's Tip for Kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org.
6: Along the way is where we find the unexpected. Along the way is where we take in the scenery and often where we have the most fun. Sure. Along the way can be the place we stop to fill up or grab a bite to eat. But in Michigan, along the way becomes the place we've been longing for. Because enjoying the journey is always pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
0: we Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, Rod, you wanted to make a point after hearing uh, uh, Rosanna make her... Point.
1: Well, two points. One, we really need to take partisanship as we do in most of these issues. Look, the campaign has to end at some point. Governing has to begin. That's one of my major rules of politics that has been when I started in politics. That was what everybody's rule was. Now it's by the wayside. So to say that Biden isn't putting kids in cages, I saw Congressman Cuellar's pictures. They look like cages to me. Obama built the cages. It's Googleable. J. Jay Johnson from the Obama administration has admitted, yes, we built the cages. Of course we built them. What else are you going to do? You have to store the kids somewhere that are separated from their families. So to pretend that that didn't happen and to blame it all on Trump, that's part of the problem. But the other part of the problem is Rosanna's stance that uh, there's no way we're going to solve this problem. You have probably, I don't know how many uh, illegal aliens, probably close to 20 million, 21 million That's what uh, some of the universities have said. You are not going to deport 21 million people. It is not going to happen. So start with that statement. Then let's craft a solution. And the solution has to be some form of pathway to citizenship. Now, we can debate on what that pathway is. But when you're paying a fine, paying your back taxes, and getting to the back of the line, that is not amnesty. The fact that you're paying a fine, admitting that you committed a crime, mm-hmm. that's, that's not amnesty. So maybe we need a bigger fine. Maybe we need a, yeah. you know, what, whatever. And that, by the
0: way, when I, when I when I have discussed this on the air for the last several years, because paying a fine and, and going back and waiting in line and all those things and, and even learning the language, when that was part of the, the plan that was making its way through Congress, I said to myself on this program numerous times, I don't know why anybody would raise their hand and right. come out from the dark and do that. And and that was the that was supposedly the plan that was going to solve it all. You're asking people who are living in fear, living, you know, uh, in, 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 in hiding in the United States to come up and, 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 and do something like that and put your name on a government list. And maybe I mean, they that's would. why that's why we don't we don't have a full number of the number of dreamers in the country because not all the all not all of the potential dreamers. Have come forward and put their name on the right, list. Right. Georgia, well, your take on that? You've you've heard the assessment of uh, of Rod to uh, uh, Roseanne's idea. I, I know you disagree with it, but uh, what's your take on it? And and what 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 what, I, I, what what logical thing that's in your liberal you know uh, uh, arsenal? What what would you throw back as 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 something that's going to be less near and dear to your heart to resolve this?
2: Look, liberals, progressives, they all lined up behind comprehensive immigration reform, including all of those hoops that you just mentioned, right? Admitting that you committed the crime, paying the felony. And it's not as if once reform passes, you fill out an application and all of a sudden you're a citizen, right? It doesn't work like that. There's still the massive waiting period. Why would people raise their hand and come out of the shadows? Because I think it's important for us to appreciate that for millions of people across this country, they are terrified whenever they see a police car pass by. They are terrified whenever an announcement comes, let's say, over the school PA, right? They are terrified that at any single moment, they're going to be snatched up and deported into a land that they never even knew. We've seen it happen time why are and they time ter-
0: again. Why are they terrified?
2: They're terrified because they know that here, there's always the threat hanging over them. They're right? terrified, they're terrified the because they grow, they're terrified laws, that they will be Georgia,
0: deported. Georgia. They're terrified because they broke the law. And if you're yeah, a person who broke the law, nobody's going nobody be a little worried when the cop something comes by.
2: Absolutely. And that is why confessing to that illegality is a key part, right, of getting back on track. But as was mentioned earlier, you can't save to 21 million people. You guys committed a crime. Let's start deporting you. At the basis level, we can't logistically do it and we cannot afford it as a country. But I wanted to go back to a comment that was made earlier about if you put a hundred people in a room, would they yes. or would they not approve of at the very least allowing dreamers to stay in this country and achieve some measure of legality to their status? And and the response was, well, no, because you know, we like things, we like it when people do things right how is a six-month-old supposed to decide whether it was the right thing to cross over the border illegally? How is a 12-year-old who doesn't know any other country besides America supposed to be deported to Mexico when they don't even speak Spanish? These are not just policy decisions that we're talking about, they are personal decisions that affect the livelihoods and the family structures that we're talking about. And so I think it's important, at the very least, the reason why we haven't had comprehensive immigration reform is because a very, very vocal minority of illegal immigration activists, as they like to call themselves, are the most vocal ones in the room and unfortunately are driving the narrative.
0: Uh, Rosanna, back to you to respond.
2: Uh, well, I just lo-
3: lost my train of thought. Well, but, you know, the, the example that Georgia gave, she didn't follow it all the way through to the end then allowing the dreamers to stay here that would also allow the chain migration that again, Americans are going to have to foot the bill for. We can't take care of our own Americans. We can't take care of our own veterans. And I think that's the frustration of many Americans saying, can we take care of our people first? Uh, That's what the chain migration, again, I'm going to emphasize, then we, the taxpayers, are paying for education, hospitalization, social services, not only for the dreamers, but for the chain migration that's going to happen after that act happens that we allow them in.
0: Okay. On that note, uh, we are out of time for our number one. Uh, We're going to continue with Georgia Logothides and uh, Derek Blakely in the studio along with myself and Rod McCullough. Uh, Rosanna, we thank you very much for joining us. Sorry about the technical uh, problems that we've had in the broadcast. We're going to switch to some other topics in our next hour, so we say farewell to you. But I'm Bruce Dumont (laughs) back with another full hour of Beyond the Beltway. Don't go away.
9: Some news is about their opinions we believe the news should give you the facts without bias so you can form your own we believe in news not talk facts not opinions news nation is on every night at 7 p.m on wgn america to give you the information you need everyone calls it the news but we'll actually deliver on it seven nights a week in prime time find your local channel by going to wgnamerica.com news nation it's your news your nation
8: Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast, to work hard, to do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, today's military.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling, we have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com.
9: My
6: name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
1: I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
9: America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives.
7: I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home.
9: At DAV. We all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to dav.org.
7: Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Bruce Dumont back on Palm Sunday 2021. Nice to have you with us. Happy
0: Passover uh, to all those that may be uh, celebrating. Uh, Passover. And we thank you very much for joining us this evening. From coast to coast and border to border, Rod McCulloch is in studio with me. Uh, he is a, a pollster. And uh, Derek Blakely, former network reporter, joins me. And Georgia Logothites from the Daily Kos uh, joins us uh, via the Zoom. And uh, I want to begin with uh, one of the big uh, political events of this past week, and that is the president uh, finally had a press conference. Uh, Georgia, uh, Uh, Did you watch most of the press conference or what's your reaction to it?
2: I did. And I have to say it was a disappointment, uh, not because of anything necessarily President Biden said, but because of the media. Um, Not a single reporter asked a question about the pandemic. Uh, This is a pandemic that has claimed the lives of over 550 million of our fellow Americans. It's a pandemic that is literally closing down businesses across the country. It's a pandemic that is bankrupting or I'm probably going to be bankrupting a lot of municipalities. It's the issue in our country. And not a single reporter thought to ask the president of the United States about the most consequential issue of our time. I thought it was an absolute disgrace.
0: 550,000.
2: Yes, sorry, 550,000. Okay.
0: Derek Blakely, you're a reporter. You've been to press conferences. Uh, what what grade would you give the media? and Then we'll give the grade
4: to the president. Um, <clears throat> I would give the media a B and I would give, uh, the president, uh, actually an A minus, uh, especially for the people who thought, uh, he wouldn't be able to get through an hour long press conference right. without, uh, uh, wheezing and, and gasping for breath or, uh, uh, be able to hold a, a thought drooling, uh, a drooling. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he's a 78 year old man and, um, I, I would say that, um, his performance in press conferences uh is some is somewhat concerning he's not he's not um, the sharpest guy at this point in his political career, but I think Americans like him uh, I think they approve of the job he's doing uh, overall. The polling shows that, and I think basically they trust him uh, they trust him more uh, than some elements of the Democratic Party uh, that he is being uh, uh pushed by uh, Toward uh, uh, more progressive, or some would say more radical policies. So uh, I, I think I, I think overall the, the the news conference was a success.
0: Uh, Rod, do you do you think many people are bothered by the three by five cards that he has?
1: I'm not. I think some uh, part, extreme partisans are. But let's get back to the media for a second. I, uh, Derek, I, I don't know. I know this would never happen in a local press conference, but it seemed to me fairly clear. That at least a few of the questions were scripted out in advance, and that Biden knew what was going to be asked. That's Mm -hmm. why he had his three by five cards with exactly what he wanted to say to the exact question. I don't even know if I object to that. I'm just saying I object to the that they try to make it appear that it's spontaneous when it really isn't. Look, if he sat down for an interview with uh, one on one, they'd ask the person what you know. What are you going to generally ask about? I mean, when we came on this show, you told us what yeah. you were generally going to talk about. So I'm not objecting to that. I'm objecting to more of the phoniness of it. Uh, as, as far as the president's performance, Derek is exactly right. Look, he's a 78-year-old guy. The voters knew that when they voted him in. Yeah. Um, so, look, my grandpa was a great guy. When he was 78, he was in about the same shape as Joe Biden. I still loved him. And, and and look, this is another issue where the extremists on both parties go back and forth. Now, does any Republican, my, my my good Republican friends, do they really believe that in Ronald Reagan's second term, yeah. that he was sitting at that old office desk 8 hours a day m- micromanaging the federal government? No, come on.
4: He wasn't sitting there eight hours in his first term. Well, maybe not, but
1: but he wasn't capable. And he
0: had, had
1: three-by-five cards. And he, and he had three-by-five cards, but he was in this, about the same shape as Biden in his second term. Yeah. Republicans didn't seem to mind that. And, and look, we don't really want a president to be micromanaging. Anyway, look, Biden sets the general parameters like Reagan did. As long as his team is doing what he asks them to do, I don't really care if he stutters or if he— was this train of thought at
0: some question? What about to me? One of the cringeworthy moments, however, and I want to get start with Georgia again, was when uh, the uh, the correspondent for PBS NewsHour, I want to El Miss she begins by talking about how the people loved Joe Biden because he was so warm and cuddly and such a warm human being. What did you think of that preamble uh, of love coming from a journalist? in the middle of a press conference or at the beginning of a press conference, Georgia?
2: Well, if I remember correctly, the president rejected the premise of that question, right? Because it was based on immigration, right? Um, I think that any reporter um, comes to the press conference with the goal of, you know, making headlines with their question. And I think that they phrase it in a way to try and make headlines with their questions.
0: But I think Um, it was embarrassing as a journalist.
2: I think, look, I told you, I think the performance of the media and that press conference across the board was embarrassing. And we can get into the wide range of reasons why it was, but just going real quick back to the, the prep issue, because I do think it's important, you know, Donald Trump has left the scene, right? And there's this, we, all the cacophony of his administration has kind of died down. And I think people are trying to figure out something to make noise about on the right. And you see on, on, on you know, Hannity had, you know, in all caps that he, Biden was cheating with notes, but The Republicans didn't have a problem, for example, when Trump had notes or even when his press secretary would come out with a gigantic binder with tabs because they knew the general topics that were going to be covered. That's the same thing. And look, I've prepped candidates. I've prepped people for debates. I've prepped people for press conferences, media training. If you send in your person without cards and without notes, then that's malpractice on your
4: part. Some people even objected to his seating chart with pictures of the reporters and their names. That's petty. Yeah. That's that's
0: right. silly. Yeah. Right. There was a lot of petty stuff. You know, one thing that, uh, by the way, the other person is uh, when you talk about the the three people, uh, the, the two other people that I wanted to make reference is I thought that Sylvia Vega of ABC did a very good job because she had done a report the night before with a young boy who had <laughs> given her a phone number, uh, and uh, I was a little bit surprised that she didn't, uh, you know, call that. Boy's relative right on the air, but she didn't. <laughs> but again, uh, she brought it up to the president. The president, uh, you know, responded the way he did. And also, I thought that uh, uh, Christian Felker from NBC, she got a lot of questions in. So I mean, they they were they were geared and they performed very well. I thought in the press conference more more so than the president's response to it. But I don't I don't think he handled the question about the young boy very well. He basically said, "No, we're." we're you know, we're going we're gonna to send them back.
4: Yeah, he said we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make sure that his family is, is contacted, contacted yeah. as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else you'd want him to say.
1: No. You, you know, Bruce, i I'll I'm tell surprised
4: you, that ABC hasn't contacted that
1: kid. I, I'm not that upset if Biden waits another 65 days or whatever to have another press conference. No, I don't care. For one thing, when Trump was having his every day during the COVID uh, crisis, yes. who thought that was a good idea?
0: I didn't.
1: I, I, it did him more he harm. Did. <laughs> it did him more harm because he allowed the reporters to bait him. He'd get way off subject on all kinds of ridiculous things that had nothing to do with COVID, which is when he would make wild exaggerations that they'd come back and say, lied, he lied. So, I, look, as long as they're sending people out to answer questions, it doesn't have to be the president all the time. Yeah, I agree.
0: One other thing he talked about was he, he talked about uh, the, uh, the, 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 the triangle uh, countries, that are sending many of these uh, folks towards the border. Uh, and then he talked about the importance of working with them to stop the problem in their countries. And then later in the press conference, he talks about the leaders of those countries being corrupt. So I'm wondering uh, whether or not he's going to get be well-received when he tries to talk to these corrupt leaders. Back shortly.
5: Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Garris with today's Tip for Kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org.
6: Wish you were here words we've often seen on postcards and letters from friends and family. Luckily, there's an entire state that whispers, wish you were here, climbing my dunes, sailing on my breezes, walking along my beaches, and getting lost and found in my forests. This is a postcard from Michigan, where wishing you were here is the heart of Pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
0: Bruce Dumont back from Evanston, Illinois, the studios of WCGO, uh, just a stone's throw from Northwestern University, and we might also add, just a, a longer stone's throw from Loyola, which again we're sort of licking our chops that they uh, lost uh, recently in the basketball tournament. But there's been a lot of great basketball going on out there. But I don't know. I don't know how anybody uh, stops Gonzaga. Boy, they are, they are a wild, wild bunch of guys. Let's speaking of Washington. Let's go to the state of Washington. Dave is listening to us. Dave, go ahead.
10: Hey, Bruce Gonzaga. That's uh, Gozag. That's this right. is the town of Zaga where I where I'm speaking from.
0: <laughs> There's a town of Zaga. There's a town of Gonzaga. Uh,
10: no, this is the town Spokane, Washington. That's where the Zags. are. Oh no,
0: no, That's this, right. Yeah. No, this I this I this I know. I, I I visited that university when we did our show from KXLY a long long time ago.
10: That's exactly the place I'm calling from, is uh, Spokane, Washington. So yeah, those eggs. Uh, And uh, the things I was calling about, basically, was in regards to you, you just spoke about the uh, Biden press conference. Well, that was one of the things. I did not think it went that well either. Uh, I would go on that camp, uh, especially seeing as though you get this idea where, uh, he will only take questions from selected people, right. uh, for example, Fox News did not get a question right uh, and there's been multiple times now that the President has not called on fox News and If anyone wants to compare a press conference between Biden and Trump and Trump with basically no note cards and just taking calls or taking questions left and right from any any takers he 's mm-hmm. just you know rapid fire, and you look at Biden. Biden is slow and looks you know, just so out of, or, or disorganized. He can't retain his thoughts. He needs assistance with his cards. He only takes a few questions. And in about an hour, he took as many questions as Trump would take in about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the, 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 the cognitive ability difference. I would make a bet with anyone uh, if they took cognitive tests between Trump and Biden, Trump would blow him out of the water. Mm-hmm. And it's disappointing that you have people who are willing to say, you know what, because I hate Trump so much. I'm willing to vote for some guy that is totally not qualified to be running this country right now. You need someone that's quick on their wits to deal with foreign people. You are going to have Biden sitting down talking to Putin or talking, you know, with North Korea or China. China and and Russia will just wipe him over the floor if he's having a meeting with those people because they're they have their wits about them. I want to I go do I, I, I want to help people.
4: Dave, I want
0: I want Georgia Longatheas to weigh in. Georgia, you are a card-carrying liberal progressive. Uh, I'm sure you're happy. There's a Democratic president. You're probably not ecstatic that that person happens to be, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Joe Biden. But again, he, he'll—he's the best that will do. Um, did you like when he said that he's likely to run for re-election?
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I I don't want my president to kind of throw in the towel early on, but look, your, your caller is correct that there is a huge style contrast between former President Trump and President Biden. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather have a president who can govern at a desk than somebody who puts on a show at a podium.
0: There you go.
10: I would rather have someone who can think logically and critically on anything that comes at him than someone who takes five minutes to remember what the question was, says, well, what is that about? Let me think again. I mean, I need someone who's quick on their feet running the country of the United States of America, making literal decisions on, you know, are we sending people to war? What are we doing? Yes, he has advisors, but anyone who doesn't want, I mean, I wouldn't want someone who doesn't have good cognitive ability running a company, just a okay. Fortune 500 company, let alone the United States
0: of America, Dave. Uh, let me just ask you a question. First of all, we're gonna we're gonna end this focus, but I want to ask you a question. Okay. I assume we're gonna put you down as a as a pro Trumpster and 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 not a big fan of the president's. But I, I want to switch gears. No, I'm not I, really pro Trump. Okay. Right, then then let me let me ask this question because I want to get your reaction. You're a man from Spokane, Washington. I yep. want to get your reaction to the other big stories of this past week, and that is the shooting in Colorado and the shooting also in Georgia uh, involving the massage parlors what is your um, what is your take from well, well beyond the beltway in Spokane Washington what is the what is well, the answer to these mass shootings that we run into
10: as a gun carrier of both a con- a, uh, a handgun and a rifle, a rifle which many people would consider an assault weapon mm-hmm. because of how they like to characterize things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you that the interesting thing about being a gun owner is I've had my guns out. I've been cleaning them. I've had them done cleaning, totally empty, sitting on my counter. And you know, the funny thing is they've never shot anybody. I've never had my, any of my guns just randomly shoot uh, someone, myself, anything on accident. Someone has to shoot a gun. And so it gets so frustrating to see politicians and these media sensationalists on TV and the radio get into this whole thing of every time there's a shooting, we focus on, oh, my God, guns, guns, guns. We need to stop guns. Even though if you look at all these mass shootings, <laughs> like even this, these latest ones, the guns are purchased legally or they're stolen. And anything that you do to any of these legislations that they try to put in, do not change that because the guns were already purchased legally. So making, you know, all, all the, the types of new legislation I want to put in doesn't fix that. A lot of these uh, these incidents are handguns, and now all of a sudden you want to ban handguns. You know, the number of bullets, it's just crazy. You can reload I, uh, magazines if you want to. It's just, it's just
0: nuts. Dave, stand by. I want to ask our guests a question. Uh, does anybody uh, in the discussion this evening, does anybody believe that a waiting period would have been <clears throat> changed any of the incidents just this past week? Rod?
1: Well, I think, isn't there a waiting period already? I believe there's a federal yeah. waiting
0: period of three days. There is. Okay.
1: So I don't know that, that that's a solution. But but look, uh, uh, this is another issue that reasonable people can disagree on. But also, if you had reasonable people at the table, you'd have solutions for this. One of my – I've never owned a gun, but I'm a gun person in the fact – in the belief that don't tell me I can't defend my home or my family – if some ne'er do well decides to break into my home, uh, I'm never going to accept that argument. I don't live in a neighborhood that I feel a need to do to protect myself. But if I did live in a neighborhood where murders happened on a re- uh, or burglaries happened on a regular basis, I would own a gun. And I don't believe any politician who has armed bodyguards paid for by the taxpayers defending them uh, can tell me otherwise. So I have a problem with the people that seem almost gleeful when a mass shooting happens, so they can dance on the graves of the victims and politicize their deaths. I have a problem with that.
4: Uh, Derek? Well, I'm not a gun fancier. I'm not a gun owner. Um, the most safe I've ever felt in my life was when I lived uh, in, in uh, London for three years, uh, where nobody has guns <clears throat> because they're basically, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm That's sorry. Right. they're um, They're all but outlawed. Um, but I know that wouldn't work in the United States of America. I wouldn't, uh, propose that. Um, I do think, uh, a system of, of tougher background checks, um, uh, is, uh, is, is a modest, uh, concession. Um, and I don't know if it would have, uh, prevented either of these incidents. I think it would have prevented other incidents. And I think most Americans support that, but, um, <clears throat> because of the politics of the issue, uh, it can't get through Congress.
0: Georgia, do you think that uh, a background check would have stopped either of these two crimes that uh, happened last week?
2: Well, I think it's important for your listeners, to, and I'm sure a lot of them already know this, but not every gun that is sold in the United States goes through a background check. Um, Only if it goes through an FFL, a federal licensed dealer, um, does that three-day waiting period get triggered. And actually, the the NRA lobbied so much that if the federal government does not approve you within three days, you get your gun anyway. That's what the NRA lobbied for and got through Congress. So I think what we have to realize with all of these tragic mass shootings is we have two serious problems going on. One is a mental health crisis in this country, specifically one among young adolescent boys, right? We see a consistent pattern in the demographics of these young mass shooters. Um, There's something wrong. When, when that happens and they don't get the type of health or alert that they need, especially within the school system. But we don't see Republicans who constantly say, well, guns don't shoot people, people shoot people, investing money in people. We don't see them investing money in teen mental health services. We see them actually trying to cut the money that goes to our public school systems. And so I think that's something that, you know, if we want to deal with the heart of these mass shootings, dealing with it truly as a mental health crisis is a big part of it. But I think the other thing we have to appreciate in this gun debate, you know, we are in a privileged position in America where we have a Second Amendment, unlike New Zealand and some other countries. It is a constitutional right. But here in America, it seems to be one in a privileged position. In other words, every time we try to put reasonable gun reform in place, one reforms that are supported by 80, 90 percent of people, Universal background checks, limits on the capacity of magazines. Why can't we get something that's supported by 80 or 90% of of the American public through Congress?
0: Rod, what's the answer? And that's because
2: of a very vocal minority. And if I can just real quick,
7: just just Uh, I
2: want to cite one fascinating statistic that when I learned about it, it just blew my mind. We have the highest gun ownership per capita in the whole entire world. About 30% of Americans own a gun, but it's only 3% of adults in this country that own half of America's. Firearm stock. That's 130 plus million guns, 130 million firearms that are owned by only 3% of the American public. And they're so vocal and so powerful through lobbies like the NRA and other lobbies that they're the ones that are stopping true progress on common sense bipartisan gun reform getting done in Congress.
0: Rod, do you uh, agree with that statistic?
1: I I do. um, uh, And I agree also, I'm a big proponent of. Uh, additional mental health funding. I think that's one of the government programs that you actually make money on, if you will, because you prevent shootings and other incidents where people go off their meds or whatever and and create havoc in society. But uh, it's the same problem that we have with immigration. You have extremists on both sides. You have the NRA people who say no more reforms of any kind. But let's be honest, the overwhelming majority of gun sales do have background checks. Very few don't.
10: Hey, I'd like to throw a quick final thing in is that one of the things all of your guests seem to say, they aren't familiar with guns, and gun familiarity is one of the reasons that we have such a fear in this country because people aren't used to being around them and handling them, and when you're you're afraid of the unknown, and that's what causes people to be scared. Dave, we've got to say, we say farewell.
0: Prevent- I'm Bruce Dumont,
8: back shortly.
6: 14 clubs. That's what they tell us a legal golf bag can hold. And while that leaves a little room for balls and tees, it doesn't leave room for much else. There's no room left for deadlines or conference calls, not a single pocket to hold the stress of the day or the to-do list of tomorrow. Only 14 clubs. Pick out the right one and drive it right down the middle of pure Michigan. Your golf trip begins at michigan.org.
0: Here's Dumont back in Chicago, actually in Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us this evening. Uh, one of the other big issues that uh, has been getting uh, lots of uh, coverage from uh, coast to coast, and that is uh, the issue of the filibuster. Uh, Georgia, <laughs> what is your current position on the filibuster?
2: It's got to go. It's got to go. It is completely undemocratic. I actually think the way that it's being practiced, it actually is, is borderline unconstitutional. Um, our Constitution realizes that the Senate is a majority rule. There's a reason why the framers put in there the fact that the vice president is a tiebreaker, because they envisioned that most legislation would go through on a, on a majority vote. Uh, not a supermajority vote, which is kind of the de facto rule right now under the Republican minority, and certainly it was with a Republican majority. Um, and so I absolutely am completely in support of filibuster reform.
0: And uh, Rod McCullough. Well,
1: actually, I think that's not what the framers intended. They, they anticipated there would be wide agreement once a bill came to pass. And in the rare case that there wasn't, then the vice president would be the tiebreaker. But this is another issue. Let's, let's lay some of them out. Uh, science. The Bible, Constitution, I mean, uh, uh, and and the filibuster, where uh, the national debt is another one, where each side seesaws and teeter-totters, depending on whether they're in power or not, or whether uh, the science agrees with them. You know, Democrats were very happy that the the filibuster was in place when uh, several Trump initiatives got torpedoed. Uh, I didn't see them calling for the end of the filibuster back then. So uh, it's a tradition that's been in the Senate. I think it's served the Senate well. The idea was, even though it wasn't in the Constitution, Thomas Jefferson talked about uh, radical change not being pushed on a slender majority uh, in the federal papers, And that's the idea that eventually came about because of the filibuster. Could there be reforms in it? I I think there could be. But uh, when you have a 50-50 Senate, the country is evenly divided. You just shouldn't be able, whether whichever party is in power, you shouldn't be able to just jam something down uh, the other side's throats. If you have a healthy majority in the Senate, you know, for instance, Obamacare passed with 60 votes. The president, for a short period of time, he had 60 votes in the Senate. They couldn't filibuster it. And that's the way politics should work. If you have a slender majority, work it
4: out. Derek Blakely. I think the Democrats um, are being somewhat short-sighted in the in the current uh, fervor to get rid of the, the filibuster, because uh, they're not always going to be uh, have a slim majority that they do now. And when they're in the minority, uh, they would like uh, to use the filibuster to to block uh, legislation that they don't particularly like. It is a it is a device uh, to uphold minority rights and to um, uh, To temper the uh, tyranny of the majority. And uh, that's an important factor. However, we also have to look at uh, many, many important issues. Some of the issues we've discussed uh, uh, tonight uh, have have basically come to a standstill, uh, gun control, immigration, voting rights. These are the kinds of measures that we have seen no action on, uh, even though many of them are widely favored in the country. Uh, And ultimately it comes back to a filibuster. You can't get it through the Senate. So uh, I don't think the framers intended uh, the the Senate to be a a device or a chamber uh, that perpetually held off action on important issues for decades. And that is really the biggest threat to the filibuster (coughs) is the the uh, inaction we've had on so many important issues.
1: But Derek, you you kind of make my point for me. I agree with you. That's not what the founders intended. They they intended that legislators would be able to come to a compromise and achieve stuff for the American people. And whenever that didn't happen, then the vice president would be the tiebreaker. And that's the way it is supposed to work. So let's take the dreamer, uh, go back to the dreamer issue for just one second. President Obama... 30-some times, said, hey, I can't just sign this paper and do this. We need legislation. And that is the way it was supposed to work. So he should have, could have, should have, maybe tried to go to the Senate and say, hey, look, I really want this done. What do I have to give you to get that done? Yeah, That's the way the framers intended it. Right. And you come to a meeting of the minds. You meet in the middle. You don't get everything you want. The other side doesn't get everything they want. Now, the the, the parties have so bifurcated, that that may not be possible anymore. But that's what the framers really intended. Georgia? Yeah,
2: I, I, I disagree with that. I mean, I think we, one thing that we have to realize is that the Constitution was written understanding what the Articles of Confederation were. And the Articles of Confederation required a supermajority for most of the major uh, machinations of government. And so the founders explicitly rejected a supermajority. In fact, they only listed it seven times in the Constitution did they envision a scenario where a supermajority would be required, such as overriding a presidential veto, impeachment, those types of things. Trust me, the, the founders did not envision what's going on right now, which is that the mere fact that there's two parties in Congress means that somebody that won millions of more votes... Right. The party that won millions of more votes has to somehow scavenge for 10 votes from the other side, the losing agenda side, in order to water down their agenda and get something passed. Alexander Hamilton actually referred to the supermajority, right, as uh, something that destroyed the energy of government. And I think that's what we've seen. The reason why people hate Congress so much. The reason why Congress's approval is in the single digits sometimes, no more than 12 percent usually, is because Congress doesn't do anything that affects people's lives because it is paralyzed by arcane rules that are held hostage by a minority. And it should not operate like that, even in a body such as the U.S. Senate. And
1: again, that's how the framers set it up, that you had two U.S. senators in every state, even New York and, and in this case, Utah. Uh, who couldn't be more different in population. At that time, it was New York and, say, South Carolina. Uh, that's the way they set it up, so that each state had mm-hmm. equal representation. But let me make another point. The American people could change this. They, it seems to me that even though Congress has a low uh, approval rating and blah, 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 the American people really like divided government. If they didn't, I think they do. If they didn't, they'd elect 60 U.S. senators of one party or another. Right. And, and they haven't in a long time. So it's what the people have decided that they want. It's up to the leaders to, again, work it out. And they're failing on that.
0: Georgia, what, yeah, does, the mean, pres- what does the, what does the president do which next? Party what is does failing,
2: I think you look at the Republican Party, they don't even support the basic filibuster reform. Of making somebody actually speak through their filibuster. I think I think both parties, you know, definitely we see on our side, Senator Manchin is willing to put that on the table. You know, if you want to sit there and block, you know, health care for, for children, or if you want to sit there and block climate change legislation, then you stand up there for 20 hours or 30 hours or however long you want mm-hmm. and put your feet behind your principles.
1: The reason they got rid of that, and it was a good reason, is that every single piece of business would then come to a halt.
2: But, but you could, doesn't you, you that couldn't reinforce the it. point that no, the filibuster doesn't. is being used no. on every single piece of legislation, which was no. not envisioned by the framers no, of the Constitution?
1: No, no, not no, not in the current form, where you can just uh, mail it in, if you will, that we're going to filibuster this. Then you can move on to the next piece of business
0: that people could vote on. Georgia, what so do you think? What do you, so no, Georgia, let me ask you. Georgia, let me ask Georgia. Georgia let me ask you this question. Georgia, let me ask you this question. What does the president do next? Because the president in the press conference the other day, he suggested that, you know, maybe there may be something that has to be done. What do you think he does? Is he is I think he will The willing- president
2: has played it, you know, from a from a strategic perspective, I think he's played it the right way. He stayed out of how the debate long? when he was asked about it in the in the campaign. Uh in the first few weeks of his presidency, he was asked about it frequently and he said it's it's up to the institution, right? It's an institutional rule, they can decide and we'll see how it goes. <coughs> and I think what he's doing is essentially setting a trap so to speak. Let's Put the onus on the Republican Party and see, are they mounting filibusters on legislation that has 70, 80, 90 percent of public approval? That helps the president make the case then to the American public that we are in need of filibuster reform.
4: But I think if he had come out
2: initially and said it, he wouldn't have been able to make that strong of a case. Didn't,
4: didn't Democrats benefit by having the filibuster uh, while Trump was uh, the president? Didn't that, that, Wasn't it, wasn't it I, a useful tool to help uh, block some of his legislation?
2: I think it's important to realize that the Democrats are the one leading filibuster reform, which goes to show you. You're
4: how not dire answering the, the question, though. Answer, is, the question. answer the question. Georgina, answer the question, please. Please answer the question. Did not the Democrats?
2: Democrats absolutely have used the filibuster. And we're not saying to completely. I think this is what we're talking about, filibuster reform, right? The filibuster in its current form, where it is used to block every single piece of legislation that will benefit American people, right? That type of situation has to absolutely go. Is there a way to create a type of filibuster that, as you point out, can be used to block some more onerous pieces of legislation? There may be a way for it. But look, the current status quo is completely untenable. And we can't just cling to the hope that another uh, a president with authoritarian tendencies might come in power and we need it in our back pocket. When in the meantime, while we have it in our back pocket, the house is burning
0: down is it more is it important though politically i want to get rod's response is it important if this debate's going to go forward and, and the president is sending signals that you know he, he wants to engage more of the public in this debate do we need a list of all the things that democratic democrats want to do if the filibuster goes away and they can pass things with 51 votes which is, why,
1: which is why it's not going away. Because first of all, Joe Manchin doesn't agree with right. most of that agenda. But look, the, the Democrats, like DC state would, the Democrats look like hypocrites. There's no better way to say it. Joe Biden himself gave a famous speech when Bush was president about how important the filibuster was to protect the rights of the minority. Some Republican senator read that speech word for word on the Senate floor last week. Uh, it isn't going to go away. Biden doesn't have a vote. Cinema mansion and if push came to shove, probably four or five other Democrats will never vote for the reason Derek just said because they know it's a useful tool for themselves in the future and it has been in the past.
0: We've got a pause one 80 723 our last segment coming up. Don't go away.
5: Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Herd-Garris with today's Tip for Kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org.
6: Along the way is where we find the unexpected. Along the way is where we take in the scenery. And often where we have the most fun. Sure, along the way can be the place we stop to fill up or grab a bite to eat. But in Michigan, along the way becomes the place we've been longing for. Because enjoying the journey is always pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
0: Bruce Dumont back. Thank you very much for joining us wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border. We will be back here next week as we have every Sunday night for the last uh, 40 plus years. And, uh, Rod, I want to talk to you. You know, we talked briefly about uh, Donald Trump a little bit earlier in the broadcast, but he is now planning a trip to the border. Uh, Is this his uh, subtle way of reminding everybody that he's back? Or not-so-subtle way?
1: You know, I, I don't know what purpose that serves seriously, um, except to feed his ego, perhaps. But um, It's important for the, him. <laughs> the Border Patrol, the guys, they have an important job to do. I don't know that they should be distracted by a former president coming down and creating a big circus. Uh, look, uh, if he wants to stay active and involved, more power to him. But I don't think he should be uh,
0: doing things like that. Honestly, you advise Republicans and Democrats. That's what you said recently. You, yes, you're you're not exclusively working for Republicans, right? But what what advice if uh, if you were advising a candidate now who is running for Congress somewhere, would you advise them to move closer to uh, Donald Trump, move away from Donald Trump, or? Wait a couple of years when Donald Trump may be less of a figure for the future.
1: I'm actually talking to a gentleman who wants to run against Adam Kinzinger in the Republican primary. My advice is the same to every kind of candidate. Be yourself. And if you agree with Donald Trump, then, you know, make a case for it. Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you're like Kinzinger and who did agree with him on 92 percent of the bills that came through Congress— He's making the case for why he disagreed. This is what, this is what democracy is all about. Mm-hmm. I don't ever advise a candidate. I don't take a poll and say, this is popular, do this. No, instead, what I do is, let's see what you believe. Let's Let's test those things. Whatever those things are that resonate with the voters, that's what we're going to push. And so if you agree with Trump and that's what you want to run on,
0: full speed ahead. The candidates that you speak with, and again, you don't have to name names, but the candidates that you have that uh, sort of heart-to-heart talk with, do most of them know what they really want to do, or is it more of a ego trip?
1: I would say, uh, especially beginning candidates, aren't necessarily that well-versed in the nuance of what policies are. But most of them have a clear sense of what their values are, meaning, uh, are they... Uh, a pro Second Amendment or anti Second Amendment person, as an example. Um, fiscally, they uh, they have a general idea of do we want to invest more in education or do we want to have tax cuts. That's a broad generalization, but they generally starting out in a campaign, they wouldn't be running if they didn't. Most of them didn't know generally what they wanted
0: to do. Georgia, let me ask you this question. Uh, obviously, we're a long way away from the 2022 uh congressional races but uh the senate is something that uh, everybody is looking at very closely uh there's going to be more republicans up for re-election in 2022 than democrats i think almost twice the number uh some republicans have already announced that they will not seek re-election uh, primarily in Pennsylvania and Ohio uh do you think there's a good chance that uh the Democrats could make some inroads and perhaps take control uh, or expand uh, control in the Senate?
2: I think it's way too early to tell. I think a lot of it depends Um, not just on the quality of the candidates, right? I mean, uh, anyone who's done campaign consulting knows that at the end of the day, um, candidate quality is huge. You can have someone who's great on paper, but if they don't know the retail politics, if they don't know how to do the ground game, it doesn't mean anything. So candidate recruitment becomes huge for the midterm cycle. Um, And then also you have that against the overlay of this new electoral landscape. The rules that were in place in 2020 are not going to be in place in the midterms when it comes to who can vote,
0: when they can vote and how the votes are tallied. Uh, Derek, your reaction to uh, the, the the hotness of the uh, 2022 primaries.
4: I, I really don't think, despite the hand wringing uh, by the Democratic Party, I really don't think the election rules are going to uh, matter as much as the uh, commitment and the uh, uh, dedication of the electorate um, in 2022, and. You know, the mid-year elections are always a, uh, uh, a mid-course correction or a a, a Midwest referendum, a, a, a mid-term referendum on the presidency. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to depend on uh, how well uh, President Biden is seen as governing. And, you know, the danger for the Democrats, uh, a real danger is overreach. And uh, they have to caution themselves uh, – or constantly ask themselves how much of their agenda, especially the progressive agenda, uh is broadly popular in the country, and that is going to affect uh, uh, a lot of what candidates wind up doing the other night in the press conference when
0: the president said that uh, uh you know he's likely to 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 run for reelection in twenty twenty four um how do you think? Kamala Harris reacted to that. <laughs> yeah, well, she
1: probably, uh, she's a smart politician, so I'm sure she knows he had to say that. He didn't want to become a lame duck 65 days into his presidency. Right. So, uh, and they, they, for all we know, they've had conversations in private about whether he is or is not going to run. But whatever those conversations were, he had to say that publicly. But I think uh, the Senate map is difficult for Republicans in 2022. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just based on which senators won in 2016, they're defending a lot of seats. Uh, There aren't that many Democratic seats up, and several of the uh, incumbent Republicans have retired, which makes it tougher. I think
0: there's 22 Senate seats up. Right. That's a lot. So on that note, with uh, our first preview of the 2022 <laughs> primaries, uh, Georgia Logothites, thank you very much, uh, veteran uh, correspondent and columnist for the Daily Cost. Thank you very much for carrying the liberal banner. Uh, we've got great reaction on the website uh, and on uh, Facebook because of your appearance this evening. So it's nice to know you've kept everybody alive and awake <laughs> for the last two hours. Uh, you may be hearing some. Maybe getting some emails from them uh, as uh, the week progresses. Rod McCullough, we thank you very much, a veteran pollster working for both Republicans and Democrats. And again, uh, key cog in the polling industry here in the state of Illinois. And uh, Derek Blakely, former reporter uh, for not only NBC but CBS at the network level and also NBC uh, locally and CBS locally as well. Our thanks to Connor McKnight for his assistance in the production of this program, along with the ever-popular Fritz Coleman. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Evanston, Illinois.
6: what is hope hope to me was just that he would get to come home I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back
9: I wish she'd stop drinking so much she thinks it's helping but it's not I hope she sees that
7: soon I act like I don't care if he comes to my games but I hope he does I used to hope he'd find happiness again now I hope I'm mad to mix
0: I hope Grandpa will get help.
7: He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back.
10: I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day, he asked
3: for a ride.
8: Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours. That the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to MakeTheConnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, Today's Military.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling, we have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com.
6: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
1: I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
9: America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives
7: I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home.
9: At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned.
8: I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education.
9: DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation.
10: My victory was getting my service dog and new best friend.
9: We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.
7: Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership.